Today's episode is brought to you by Built Bar. Built Bar is a protein bar that tastes like a candy bar. Go to builtbar.com, use the promo code locked on, and you'll get 20% off your next order. Today is Wednesday, November 4th. Welcome to the Locked On Phillies podcast. My name is Dan Wilson, and on today's episode, we have a very special guest, or I should say, I have a very special guest with me joining me on the show today. His name is Tim Kelly. He is the editorial director of philliesnation.com. He also happens to be the only other person who has ever hosted this Locked On Phillies podcast. He was my predecessor. He was a big help in the transition to me now becoming the host of Locked On Phillies. He does incredible work for Phillies Nation. He's been writing about baseball for about seven years now. He worked with me a little bit uh, on 94 WIP street teams. We met each other through that and have always kind of kept in touch since. So Tim's a great guy. Again, does great work covering Phillies Nation. So make sure you check him out. I had the opportunity to speak with him today uh, regarding a wide variety of different topics. The conversation went so long that I actually have to split this interview up into two different episodes. So you'll hear part one of my conversation from earlier today on today's episode and tomorrow on part two, I'll wrap that up. We discussed everything from, he was in Andy McVale's press conference last week, uh, president of baseball or president, Philly's president of baseball operations, Andy McVale's press conference. That is, uh, he did ask him a question and he was there to kind of get a lay of the land and what this off season is going to look like. I asked him about JT Earl Muto, what are the odds he's back? How much money is he going to cost? How many years? Other targets the Phillies may go after this offseason, how the pandemic might affect that, uh, and of course, Didi Gregorius, the bullpen, and much, much more. So without further ado, I bring to you uh, a conversation with Tim Kelly about the Phillies' upcoming offseason. All right, joining us t- on uh, today's episode of the Locked on Phillies podcast, it is Tim Kelly. Uh, he is known for his work with Phillies Nation, was also my predecessor here on the podcast, so thank you so much for that, and transitioning uh me into this role tim how are you doing today uh it's an interesting day that's all i can say i I, i'm doing well how are you i'm glad to hear it now your official title uh i'll give you a little plug right from the get-go your official title with phillies nation is what and tell the people kind of your uh a little bit of your experience covering this team how long you've been doing stuff like that uh, it's editorial director with Phillies Nation, and I've been writing about this team since 2013, and then really over the, the last couple of years, really made a lot of inroads. So happy with where things are going. And of course, that's the reason why I wanted to kind of bounce some of these ideas. Past few days in the podcast, obviously been a, a number of things to go uh, over. Uh, I think it was actually your tweet, or you were one of the first, if not the first, to report that Aunt Philly's president of baseball operations, Andy McVale, would be speaking on Friday at three. A little bit of a weird time, kind of squeezing it in right before the weekend like that. People thought maybe some big announcement was coming. Uh, I wouldn't necessarily call it a big announcement, but what were your, I guess, main takeaways before I go into the specifics uh, from that press conference? I think the biggest takeaway right now is that Andy McPhail is probably leaving after next season, whether that means he leaves the organization altogether or he becomes uh, just an advisor. I don't know. But beyond that, I think it does seem that Ned Rice is going to get 
an opportunity to be the Phillies interim GM into the 2021 season. And I, I guess they'll go from there because John Middleton told us at the end of, or when Matt Clentak got reassigned within the organization, he really values face-to-face contact. And obviously because of coronavirus right now, it's a little more difficult to have that now. I, the Sixers have had it, had it. I mean, a bunch of other teams have had it, so I don't think it's impossible, but they do seem like they kind of want to wait. And at, at this point, from listening to them, even if you hire a general manager or a president of baseball operations or whatever this offseason, you're not going to have them in place in time to make these key decisions for the 2021 team. So some combination of Andy McPhail, Ned Rice, John Middleton, Pat Gillick, Joe Girardi are going to be making key decisions on 2021. That's D.D. Gregorius, that's J.T. Real Muto, and that's how to rebuild this bullpen. That's what, what my next question was going to be. A, did you buy kind of what McVale was selling there that they can't really, like no one wants to uproot during a pandemic and they can't hire anybody new when literally the team across the, across the street just hired somebody new? Yeah, no, I don't really buy it, but it, it is seemingly the decision that they've made. So it, it is what it is. I think that's what they're going to go forward with and potentially could lead them to a better candidate, but we, we, we will have to wait and see. In terms of the front office as it's currently constructed, Matt Clintac steps down, was fired, whatever you want to call it. They officially kind of just labeled it as a demotion. But it, no one really knew, unless I'm missing something, is in this organization. To compare it to the Sixers for a second, they obviously just brought in Daryl Morey and have fired some of their front office guys. This Phillies team seems to not quite be there yet. This was the same front office that, whether it was fronted by Matt Clintac or whoever else, built the bullpen that was largely responsible for this team not making the postseason a year ago. Should you know, I guess a positive, should the arrow be pointing up? Should the expectations be that this team will look better or will be built better? Should anyone expect anything different for the 2021 season? Truthfully, I'm not sure that they should. Now, it it may end up being that way. There's going to be a lot of different guys this offseason that maybe you can get on the cheap that in a normal year wouldn't have been non-tendered that are going to get non-tendered or their options would have been picked up, whatever the case may be. Maybe you get some guys on a one-year deal because teams don't want to make commitments. But the same issues that other teams are facing in terms of not having had fans there in 2020, uncertainty about the future. The Phillies face those same issues, and John Middleton has been relatively open in how that could affect the budget for 2021. So uh, it's a weird scenario. And the thing is, the Phillies with JT Real Muto and D.D. Gregorius were a below 500 team in the 60-game season there's a chance neither of them come back and you still have to fix the bullpen. There's just a lot of moving parts. So I think it's hard to put a positive spin on that. It may end up being good on the other side, but right now there's just, there's a ton of uncertainty. I wanted to get specifically into their situations. Uh, the Ramuto contract situation has obviously been one that's received a lot of, a lot of attention, both from media, from fans, the front office really hasn't, as much as they can try their best, but it's kind of hard to consistently dodge questions about it just because it's been lingering for so long. What is your sense, if you have any, in terms of what's the likelihood they're going to bring him back? What kind of contract is he going to receive? I know the Mets, who are now under new ownership, uh, have kind of have are 
already we're already in the mix, but now they're really in the mix. There's an idea that they might try and make a strong push for him is the fact that Sixto Sanchez, who was obviously the main piece that the Phillies sent away to the Marlins to get him playing well this season, a factor in them really making a hard push to get him. What's if you had to make a prediction right now, what are you thinking on JT? If I had to make a prediction right now, I think I would predict that he signs with the Mets, but I don't feel so much more sure about that than that he comes back to the Phillies. I I think JT Romero, the surest prediction you can make is he's not signing until 2021. And beyond that, I mean, it, it may not even be January or February that he signs. Like this might be similar to what we saw with Bryce Harper and Manny Machado a couple years ago. I hope not. That was miserable and awful to cover, but I, I feel like that's kind of what we're headed towards is you hear these reports of JT Real Muto, his camp could open looking for close to $200 million. And then you see contract projections where he's getting five or six years around 130, 140, which is a lot more like what I expected. And, you know, you just get the sense that that could take months for them to kind of realize what the market actually is. And that plays in the hands of the Phillies. If it ultimately proves that JT Romero is going to get a five or six year deal, it's still quite a bit of risk for a catcher that's going to be 30 next year, but it's not a seven or eight year deal at 200 million. Like if, if that is really what a team is willing to offer, if there's a team like the Mets that comes off the top rope and offers 175, $180 million, I I don't think the Phillies are going to match that and probably shouldn't match it. If there's a team though, that's willing to offer 135 million, then that's a lot more of a discussion. So I I think there's going to be a lot of posturing. There's probably going to be like we saw with Bryce Harper a couple off seasons ago, days and moments where you feel like, wow, this, this may be coming together. And then days where you look at it pretty bleakly. So it's going to be interesting to watch what happens with JT real Muto. I think I'd say the Mets are the most likely landing spot, but I'd say the Phillies are probably the number two. So this is certainly not someone that I think it's a done deal one way or the other. From JT real Muto's perspective, you look, you were just on this team, you know, a team that has received a lot of hype, in the past two years, Bryce Harper obviously has something to do with that. They're obviously very close friends. They recently, them and their uh, wives recently went out to dinner in Vegas. Bryce Harper has been incredibly vocal about wanting to have him back, but it's not necessarily, it's, you know, it's not Bryce Harper's money. It's the Phillies money and they have to make a decision that's in the best interest of them. If this decision or if this contract negotiation goes into January, February, similar to Harper's, does that, you know, Harper, they had kind of began to weed teams out. And what we had heard is that the Phillies were kind of the last ones there. They were the ones opening the checkbook the most saying we'll go to 13 years and they end up going there. If it goes that long, is that a similar situation where it might only be a a few teams in the race? Maybe it comes down to the Mets and the Phillies and it's just who bids more on the final day. Yeah. It's a situation where I think it's a, it's a lot like the Harper situation, but from the nationals perspective that year, They made an initial offer to Harper, I believe in September. That was a a report from the Washington Post. Harper didn't really like it. And they pivoted to signing Patrick Corbin instead. They maybe stayed in touch with Harper, but realistically they weren't going to re-sign him at that point. And I think you're going to be in a situation like that with JT Real Muto. If the Phillies open these negotiations this offseason and they feel they're within – $15 million and maybe on the same page or close to the same page in years, 
then you stay in that. If you open this offseason and JT Real Muto's asking for seven years and $27 million per season, you may be forced to say, are we better in a situation where we being the Phillies go into this situation and sign George Springer or make a move where you get James McCann and pursue somebody else, uh, you're going to be left with that situation because the problem is if you waited out, the Giants waited it out with Harper that year and they didn't get him. Now the Giants weren't trying to contend that year, so it doesn't really matter. But if the Phillies wait things out with JT Real Muto, other people are going to sign and they could get left empty handed. They don't have the farm system to trade for another superstar right now. So I think there is going to be a point of reckoning right around when the winter meetings normally would be in early to mid December, where you really have to make an assessment if you're the Phillies and say, do we think this is going to, this is something worth waiting out or are we going to get left empty handed here if we don't pivot right now? More of part one of my conversation with Tim Kelly coming right up. But first, I wanted to tell you about Built Bar, the best tasting protein bar ever. Built Bar has 18 amazing flavors, including six new ones, caramel brownie, cookies and cream, cherry barcia, lemon almond cheesecake, carrot cake, apple almond crisp, and of course, the 12 originals, coconut almond, raspberry, German chocolate, peanut butter, banana bread, mint brownie, salted caramel, Double chocolate, orange, toffee, almond, coconut, and peanut butter brownie. Bars are covered 100% in chocolate. They are soft and easy to chew. And of course, they're healthy. They're great for the health-conscious guy or girl. They help you lose or maintain weight while indulging in a delicious treat. Bars are low-calorie, low-sugar, high in protein, high in fiber. Just, And they have peanut butter as a flavor profile in every single one. 180 calories, 5 grams of sugar. 5 grams of net carbs. Seriously, you cannot beat it. And make sure to act fast and go to BuiltBar.com while supplies last because if you do it soon, you will get a free cooler with your purchase. Again, this will only last for a week or so, so make sure you act fast. Go to BuiltBar.com. Use the promo code LOCKEDON. That's L-O-C-K-E-D-O-N. You'll get 20% off your next order. At Again, that's www.BuiltBar.com. How much is too much for JT or Muto? First of all, from the Phillies' perspective, what's going to be more of a restriction? Is it the money? Is it the years? We know this team and this owner in Middleton historically does not like to go over the luxury tax. Would he be willing to pay, you know, a little bit more for a shorter-term deal, a little bit less per year for a longer-term deal? Because he's coming up on his age 30 season. This is typically where you see catchers begin to decline. I know he's a fan favorite and has been – you know, a consistent, largely a pretty consistently good bat in the Phillies lineup for the past two seasons. But you're coming off a year where you had the DH, so you could get him in the lineup more. It does not appear that would be the case in 2021. A lot more games to get through. Would they be better off trying to pursue someone like James McCann or starting Andrew Knapp more consistently than they have in the past? Or is this a situation where they really need to go after him hard, even if it's paying a little bit too much? I don't think there's any situation where you lose JT Brumuto and you're better at the catcher position next year. And frankly, I don't know that there's a scenario unless you sign like Trevor Bauer instead or someone that is also a superstar where you lose JT Brumuto and you're a better team in 2021. The question though is in three years, do you really regret this deal? Because 
catchers do not age well. There is no catcher that's immune to that. And JT Realmuto might still very well be a nice player when he's 34 or 35, but is JT Realmuto going to be one of the 15 or 20 best position players in baseball? Probably not. And if you don't think you can win the world series in the first two years of those deals or of that deal, which I don't think the Phillies can, I think they have to be realistic with themselves and say, it's probably not going to happen. Then you know, you just wonder. Now, I, I think if you can get JT Realmuto on a five-year deal for $27 million a season, $26 million in that range, you do that deal and that's that. If JT Realmuto goes to six or more years, which I think seven or eight is outlandish and he'll realize that on the market. Six is possible though. And if a team goes to six years with JT Realmuto, you just really, going into that deal, you have to know the last two or three years of that might not be great. And the same time that those years might not be great, you might be looking at Bryce Harper beginning to slow down to some degree. So you have to weigh that. And to me, I wouldn't have made the first JT Real Muto trade in the first place. I would have kept six Sanchez. You're in the position you're in now, though, and I would struggle to go to a six, a six guaranteed season but I would also struggle to lose him to the Mets. So uh, they're not in a good situation. Losing him to the Mets uh, certainly isn't great. And similar to what they're going to experience with Sixto, you know, they're going to look, if he goes to the Mets, you're going to see two ends of that trade. You have to play them both 19 times a year, obviously Sixto or a catcher and JT won't be playing every single one of those games, but you're going to be playing both with high frequency and they're both likely going to be big reasons, at least in the short term, that you have some stiff competition in the division. My take on it was, and one of my podcasts last week, I basically said that the fact I wouldn't have made the initial deal either. And I think it's not necessarily aging well, but the fact that you make that deal two years ago, I don't think you should double down on your mistake. I like cutting your losses would be the better situation. And this kind of similar to what the Sixers did with Tobias Harris. If you want to look at, so you, you mentioned a five-year deal. I was going through, there was an article that came out yesterday from I think it was MLB trade rumors that said their projection was a five-year $125 million deal to JT Realmuto. And your point was that in the short term, they wouldn't be better unless they signed another superstar. Now they had the exact same contract lined up, not to the Phillies, but for George Springer, a five-year $125 million deal. If you had those two deals right in front of you, would you pass on JT and sign Springer, who I believe is a year older, but he's not a catcher. It's a good question. Um, you face the the whole Astros question when you involve George Springer, which I can understand how some people would say, no, I, I don't want anything to do with that. Still but, had good numbers this year. Yeah, he did. He had really good numbers. One of the best playoff hitters of all time. Um, yeah, I would have to consider it. The, the thing about it is I think you get, you, you probably have another year or two of George Springer really being able to play center field at a high level. And uh, Bryce Harper's going to be in right field, we believe, for a long time. I think even if I, I think when push comes to shove, the DH probably will be in the league next season, but it, it almost certainly will be permanently in 2022 and beyond, assuming there's a new CBA. So, you know, you could have that as an option for Springer in the long term. But it, it, again, on that fourth and fifth year of the deal, you're kind of looking at an expensive left fielder, an expensive DH, and 
what did you win in the first two years to make that worth it? The five-year $125 million deal, if that's what it takes to re-sign JT Real Muto, I think you do that deal in a heartbeat. That doesn't mean, though, that still year four and five won't be bad. But if that's the deal that JT Real Muto is asking for and the Phillies don't give it, I think there's probably going to be hell to pay because that seems like a fair deal for JT Real Muto. If anything, it, it seems a little under what I think he'll ultimately get. That kind of was my thought, too. My also thought for the purpose of years, I know he wants a long-term contract. If he says five years, 125 gets it done, and you're the Phillies, would you not come back and say, well, we'll do three or four years for like 28, 29? Now, again, it may not be what he's interested in and kind of the sense I'm getting and maybe the sense you're getting, too, is that he would want a long-term deal. um, So in the five, maybe six-year range, I think you just have to – I would pay him more in the short term just because what you said and also what you were saying with the DH of, you know, for if one of those good years, you think push comes to shove, we'll have the DH in the national league next year, but let's say we don't. And it takes till 2022, 2023. That's a third, maybe half of those good seasons you have of JT where if he's not catching, he's not in the lineup or maybe he goes plays first base, but then Reese Hoskins isn't in the lineup. I just don't, I don't know if it all adds up. Yeah, no, it's something to consider. Um, They're not in a great situation with JT Real Muto here. It is what it is. I, I of course, would love to do the three- or four-year deal as opposed to the five-year deal. There's almost no amount of money that I wouldn't give JT Real Muto annually for a three-year deal. Like, I – I'll give JT Romero $30 million or, or maybe even a little bit more annually if it's three years, but I don't think he's going to be compelled to take that, especially if he opens the off season looking for six or seven years, maybe you can talk him down to five or six, but you're, I really don't think talking him down to three or four. So ultimately you are going to have to commit to some of these years where you say maybe he is playing first base more, which greatly decreases his value, or maybe he's still catching, but not as good. So there's not any long-term deal with the catcher that's going to be 30 that you're sure is going to pan out well. In terms of the DH, then I'll quickly, you know, pivot, because I know we've, you know, spent a lot of time in this JT situation. I'll go to DD and other free agents on the market in a second. In terms of the DH, do you know, and I legitimately don't know when a decision has to be made on that buys at the winter meetings? Cause I know, again, the first sense was they wouldn't have it, but in terms of 2021, don't they have to let national league teams know like whether you have that at their disposal or not pretty soon? Yeah, you would think that, but I mean, they didn't do it last year. They decided on opening day, they were going to have eight teams from each league in the playoffs. We don't know if the three batter minimums come back. We don't know any of this. So baseball is doing an awful job at that, but that's kind of par for the course over the last few seasons. So I would think it would be fair. You should have said it last week, whether you're going to do it, but it is one of those things that has to be negotiated between the players association and the league. And to this point, it hasn't, I just, I I don't know why you wouldn't have it in there. Like MLBPA may use it as a bargaining chip to say, we want this in exchange for this, but ultimately I think all sides are better. The owners don't want pitchers batting because they could get injured and you have more jobs from the players association perspective. And if there's a DH and frankly, you just, a lot of pitchers don't want to bat. 
Like there's guys like Zach Wheeler and Jake Arrieta that maybe like batting, but there's a lot of other guys. Like I don't get the sense Aaron Nola missed batting or a, a lot of these guys. And certainly most of us didn't miss watching them. So it just, to me, I would think you have to have it soon because there's guys like Marcelo Zuna that their value greatly depends on whether there's a DH or not. So you would think soon, if not already, but we're not there and there's no indication we're going to be there soon. So teams may be going into this in the dark with the understanding that it almost for sure will be there in 2022, but you may have a gap year in 2021 where it may or may not be there. I'll almost give them a pass on what happened last year. They didn't know what length of a season they were going to have, you know, stuff happens. Like, you know, no one was really prepared for a pandemic to hit in the middle of spring training them and every other sport was kind of going, uh, you know, just on the fly essentially. And they threw those things in there because they figured if there's ever a year to try stuff like this, it was last year. They're planning on playing 162 next year. They're going into a full off season and, you know, barring something major happening where we have an entire second wave of coronavirus. And I know cases are sporadic depending on where you are in the country, but to the point where they can't play baseball again and everyone's on lockdown, like, what are you doing? I think you have to put this in stone because like you mentioned, guys like Marcelo Zuna, guys like JT Romuto, their value entirely depends on whether that rule exists. And not only just for next year, but I think going forward, as far as whether I liked it or disliked it, I have always liked the idea of National League Baseball more, but I'm I'm selling it on the sense of, I know it's going to come anyway. I don't understand why they're delaying it. It happens in the American league. I like the consistent rule in the world series. I don't like that. It flips back and forth. Like the Rangers got screwed on that in 2011 when Nelson Cruz had to play right field. So just like give the DH, just make declare it one way or another in a, my perfect ideal world. That'll never happen. Like for the long term, neither league would have it just because I like the strategy that's included in it. I know I'm the minority. It doesn't help the game. Just decided already. That concludes part one of my conversation with editorial director of Phillies Nation, Tim Kelly. I want to thank him again so much for coming on the podcast today. Uh, and of course, you know, again, for, you know, passing along the future of Locked on Phillies to me. Part two of my conversation with him will be out tomorrow. We get more into the D.D. Gregorius situation as well as what the Phillies will do with their pitching staff, both starters and perhaps most importantly, in the bullpen. I want to thank you all for listening. Have a great night, everybody. I'll talk to you guys tomorrow.